But even at the Google Ads level, some people, the way they've got their account set up, they're not even reaching all of the people who are searching for their product in the geographical area they've specified. And they're missing on like 50%, 70%, 80%, sometimes 90% of the people who are actually searching aren't even seeing their ad because of how they've got their settings. So um, even if you are doing Google Ads, you could be getting more out of it. So Nate, it's been about 10 episodes since we talked about marketing, and it seems Mm. that I can't go more than 10 to 15 episodes without doing another episode on one. And I've actually had this one in my mind for a little while. Um, It's something that I've wanted to put out there, and I think I've put the concept we're going to talk about today out in bits and pieces through some of the episodes in the past, but never in the way we're going to do it today. Mm. And that is the idea of how much should you spend on marketing? What's reasonable for the size of studio that you're at? And what is even the proper order of marketing techniques that one should employ when they're thinking about promoting their studio, getting more students? In other words, if you had a budget of zero, what would you do? If you had a budget of 100, what would you do? If you had a budget of 250, 500, 1,000, like what mix of marketing methods would you use at each level so that a studio owner can self-select into what they should be doing and in the optimal order. And this is all, of course, because the question I get all the time is, you know, Daniel, I just wish I had, I just wish I had someone that would tell me the thing to do at the time that I need to do it. And that yeah. that's the goal of this, this uh, episode of the podcast. So welcome back, everyone. This is the Seven Figure Music School podcast. I'm Daniel. This is Nate. And our goal here is to help you run a mission-driven school That is fun to own and operate and profitable to operate as well. Yeah. Uh, So, Nate, you know, I have kind of these predetermined levels that I talked about here just a second ago. I'm curious, though, as we get going, is there a question that you'd start us with? Yeah, I'm going to start us with a question that's sort of real simple, but always on my mind. Um, And let me just say the question, Mm -hmm. and then we'll just remind our listeners about um, our sponsors for this podcast, because uh, we we need to be sure to do that. And so, uh, the question I'm going to open with is just: What are three of the rookie mistakes that most studio owners make around marketing, and specifically mm-hmm. rookie mistakes around this idea of leveling up correctly? Because mm. um, I love what I've heard so far. I I'm totally looking forward to this episode, and specifically. Uh, what's always been on my mind at Brooklyn Music Factory is like, what comes first? Like, I'm always looking for those. I I, I'm, I was never that confident that I was focusing on the right thing at the right time, especially early in our growth. So anyways, let's open with three rookie mistakes studio owners can make specifically around implementing, you know, a marketing spend strategy. Okay. Um, so let's open well, there. Let's open there, but let's, before we go there, you made a great point. Let's talk about some rookie mistakes other than marketing, and that has to do with the sponsors that we have today. And I think it's a rookie mistake to try to, to be the hero, to try to do everything in your studio. And so right. I think it's really smart to take the ideas and concepts that others have spent you know, their entire career building uh, and perhaps importing them in your studio to make your job a little bit easier. Of course, we all do it with method books, and maybe that's a good place to start. That uh, one of our sponsors here is grouplessons.com. It is a uh, group lesson piano method, a very unique group lesson piano method that allows students to enter and exit a class at any time. Um, it has been shown to, uh, to increase student practice times at home and um, really increases the profitability of the studio because the system itself allows for larger ca- class sizes without a decrease in educational quality. Uh, you can see... Um, Six students per hour with just one teacher or 12 students per hour with just one teacher and a teacher assistant. Of course, all of this you can find on grouplessons.com. You can go there, check out the profitability uh, calculator. You can check out uh, exactly how the system works. I think another good system that you can bring into your studio, one that gamifies the learning experience for kids and just creates more fun and more engagement with those students is the big music game system. Nate, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, as uh, most of our listeners probably know at this point, Brooklyn Music Factory is based on a sort of ear-before-eye, fluency-first approach. We're a songwriting program, and foundationally, 
it's built on games for kids and sort of the number one benefit that we found by gamifying lessons, by introducing ear training and some music theory with the kids as young as age four through big music games is that it just increases at home play. And as you and I both know, Daniel, and this is one of the one of the things I, I love about Piano Express that I've learned from you and, and your group, uh, that group lesson program is that our biggest challenge as studio owners is oftentimes maintaining engagement at home. That's what Big Music Games is about. And, and our listeners can find uh, and start gamifying their lessons right now for free. There's, there's no cost to get started. BigMusicGames.com backslash 7FMS. Okay, so three rookie mistakes that any studio owner might make at the outside of their marketing spend strategy. Let's dive in. Yeah. I think not having a budget is one. And I see this in both small studios and in large studios. Uh, to not knowing what they're actually looking for. Not actually knowing what the goal is. Just having this idea of, oh, we need more students, so let's throw money at that problem. And then the third one is just not measuring what you're actually doing. So right. I think they're all symptoms of a deeper problem, which is uh, just a lack of specificity in what you're doing, a lack of, of thinking sy sy systemically and systematically in your business. Um, and it just yeah. shows up at different places in the planning stage, you know? So at the beginning, not even knowing how much you should be spending, and then you actually get into it. Maybe you do actually commit money to growth, uh, but then not really having a defined goal, not knowing what you're looking for, um, in terms of return on spend, not knowing what you should be measuring, um, which is different than the third one, which is just not measuring at all. You could know what you should be measuring, but then just not doing it. Yeah, hey, totally. <laughs> I've been guilty of that mistake within the last three months where yeah. I started a marketing effort and I was just like, ah, you know, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not going to measure this so deeply. And, you know, I mean, it turned out fine. But in the back of my head, I knew that I should be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny yeah. about that last piece, dude. And I appreciate you sharing your real story from the last three months is because I've gone through waves at BMF of being adamant, uh, adamant about measuring weekly mm. and looking at it weekly. Yeah. And then I've had moments where I've just been like, uh, I'm sure it's fine. The lag measures are all showing that we're doing fine. And mm. so I sort of like let off the gas on that. But the reality is, and you were just talking about this yesterday when we were chatting, um, it doesn't take much effort at all to measure and fill in those spreadsheet cells. You know what I mean? We're talking like 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. so anyways, there's not a whole lot of effort, but there's a huge return on that if you get, just get into a consistent rhythm. I think we mentioned this in a recent episode, which was that when we started grouplessons.com, one of the first things we did was build a dashboard, a marketing dashboard, a customer experience dashboard. And we all have yeah. it in one place. It's not yeah. even separate dashboards. We have different categories of the business. They're all represented on one spreadsheet. And we go in each month and we fill in the numbers and it gives us an idea. Um, and, and obviously, I had to know what numbers to pick. So there, there is an implication in these rookie mistakes that self-education has to happen. But this isn't just, you don't have to be a rookie to be making rookie mistakes. You know? No, no, no. And, yeah. and, and the, the act of filling in those numbers, even if you fill in the numbers and already know what the, the outcome was going to be when you filled in the numbers, like you're like, well, it's, it's acting the way I thought it would act yes just yeah. the act of doing it keeps you engaged yeah right okay so let's go to rookie mistake number one no budget because i think one of the things that you're bringing to the table today is a really clear guide of like stages of growth within our music school and where our budget can be mm, right so yes. maybe we start there of these of sort of different levels that. of budget yeah, yeah. um so Let's talk about everybody's favorite budget, $0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. If you weren't committing any actual you know, money to a marketing campaign or a marketing agency that does it for you or ads or anything like that, what would I do? Um, I think there are some of the usual suspects. Uh, everybody should have a Google My Business profile. The only exception to this is if you're teaching online lessons. 
But even if you are teaching online lessons, you should have a Google business profile because you can still get online lesson students within your local geographic area, unless you live out in the middle of Kansas and there's only 200 people within a 25 mile radius of you. Like, Mm. by the way, I actually was contacted by someone like that in 2017. I'd never forgotten that. She contacted me and said, can you help me? And I said, you know what? I don't think I can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you literally know all your neighbors and they're within 25 miles radius, I don't know what to say, you know, (laughs) it's one of the few times I've turned someone away, you know? Um, So you have Google business. That's obviously a big one. You know, we recently had Brian King on the podcast Yes, uh, and he talked about old school marketing, networking with local people. That's a really good episode to revisit. Um, That is a quote unquote, zero dollar marketing strategy. If you want to check that out, that's in episode 74. Mm-hmm. Um, really good. Yeah, it is a really good one. What else would I do for zero dollars? Um, I've got some other ones, but before I even go there, let's even just talk about what's the goal here. Yeah. At zero dollars and then overall, um, the goal is widespread visibility. Um, and so the one that I keep coming back to, and I've had a thought of just doing an episode on what I'm about ready to talk about. Because I actually posted this in um, a free community I have for for really serious studio owners. Um, I might put the link for that in the show notes. It's called the Studio Mastery Community. It's just a free community you can join. There's some really high Mm. quality folks there and and, and a lot of good engagement and and, and, uh, people sharing problems and solutions. It's, It's really terrific. About three months ago, I made a post and it really made some waves. Because I basically said that you should use your social media, the personal side of your social media, for business. And I got so much pushback on this. And I have been receiving so much pushback on this for the last seven years. And I truly don't understand it. And so I actually wrote a rebuttal. And it ended up being so long, I didn't even post it. (laughs) Mm. I thought, I got to make a video on this or a podcast or something. Um, But I wrote 10 reasons why you should do this. And, and the essential idea, I've called it for years, I've called it the friendly Facebook strategy. Of course, you don't just have to do it on Facebook, but Facebook is uniquely suited to, to be the most beneficial social media platform to execute this strategy. But the long story short, and so this is another one of the $0 strategies, but I'm kind of building in my defense of it right here because I can already anticipate people uh, pushing back against this because every time I talk about it, it gets pushed back is that you use your personal profile as a way to build business connections. And the basic strategy that I started using in my own studio was that I use the lists feature in Facebook to add people in my local community because I was active in a lot of groups that were locally based. Facebook groups that were locally based. Buy, sell, trade, um, garage sale notifications, community news, crime watch. I would be involved in those different, I I was members of those groups. I'd get their updates in my feed. I still do. And the people who are really active in those groups, meaning that they're, you know, a heavy Facebook user, I would just do some light looking at their, their, um, their Facebook profile. And if I saw that they had kids, I would literally just add them to my friends list. And then I would put them on this special sub list Mm. called professional. Um, Mm. And so if I had like a really personal post or something, I would just block the professional list from seeing it. But if I wanted to promote my business, I would Mm. post that content, my profile, and I would set the setting so that only the professional list could see it. Mm. Yeah, it's the filtering capability that makes it powerful and makes you okay with it. Exactly. So I can, you know, post some dumb thing or my opinion about this movie. And if I don't want the professional list to see it, then I won't, you know, I'll, I'll just block them out from seeing it. The time it takes to choose which list to post to takes about five seconds. There's no excuse not to do this. Um, Right. And what ended up happening was I added literally thousands of people from my local area to my personal profile. And they were all in this professional list. But then here's like the secret, quote unquote, hidden trick. I hate using the word secret. It's so overused. But Mm. it's like the hack. Mm -hmm. When you add someone to your personal list you can go in and you can invite them to your Facebook page. So Mm. when they're on your personal list, the the invite feature becomes active for everybody who's on your personal profile. Right. 
So then you could do more direct communication. Yes. So then I send the invite and most of the time people just hit yes. So now I've got a list of engaged Facebook users who are in my local community. They're not some bot. They're not, you know, like from a click farm in some other part of the world. Um, And they've got kids and they cared enough to hit that. And then I can then just run ads against my business page. So when I was mm. talking about using the invite feature, it's the invite to like my to, yeah. studio's business right. page. I then use the uh, the Facebook ad target capability to only target people who like my Facebook business page. This is right. the most qualified group of people that there possibly is. And then the bonus tip for this strategy is if you know other small business owners in the area, I and this is kind of what Brian was referring to in episode 74, you will have no bigger... Uh, fan, you will have no bigger, um, uh, well, referral network, right? Well, it's not just a referral network, but there, there, there are few people that understand the life of a small business owner than another small business owner. Yeah, totally. It's just that way in here. Exactly. And so if you know, like the biggest insurance, so in Franklin Township, if I know the biggest insurance agents, um, the, the attorneys actually, uh, one of my best students ever was an attorney here. His daughter now works for me at grow. Um, and I taught her for many, (laughs) many years. Um, right. So you friend those people, invite them to your business page. Oh man. And then you're running ads against them and they're active small business owners too. your referral network. will just go, we'll go nuts. Um, and then if you also then target the friends of friends in the ads, like I think you can see the power of this. And so you have this really engaged audience and then you have this really targeted, you know, smaller, you're not just advertising to everyone in your geographic area. You're only targeting people who like your page and you have carefully curated who likes your business page, keeps your Facebook ad budget small. You know, you're targeting the right people. Like there's literally no downside to this strategy. Well, and I feel like you've just kicked us to the next level with that last comment because you yeah. said Facebook ad budget. Yeah. Whereas we were starting with this idea of no ad spend. Right. And just to follow up on one thing you said there is we talk about this all the time. Our two most valuable resources are time and money. And you open by saying, let's say you're not going to invest money. Right. What you just described was, but you will invest time. Right. So, okay. So that's a great tip for how you can invest time and save money. Uh, let's go to the next level of spend. Well, so now you're a studio let, that's let's ready not, to spend. Because I'm not done. I'm not done. Oh, you're I not told done. You, no, I haven't even told you what to do at the $0 level yet. I've oh, only okay, talked so, about what 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 platforms to be on, but what you're actually going to do. Like, let's talk okay, about that Okay, got for a it. Okay, yeah. so this is like, you mean like, what's the outcome needed? Right, yeah. So, or or okay. what's the actual marketing strategy? You know? Okay, dig it. Um, Fire. And, but you do make a good point, and that is... Um, Time probably is your most expensive asset. So we do talk about a $0 budget, but it actually isn't $0 because you should be valuing your time at least at what you're charging per hour or what you can make per hour if you're running group lessons. Um, You know, if running group lessons, you make 150, 200 an hour, or if teaching private lessons, you make 50 an hour, and you spend 10 hours a month your marketing, that is costing you $500. Maybe it would be better if if you spent the time teaching and hire an assistant to run some of these strategies for you. I don't know. You have to make that choice, but that's where you're getting into actually spending money. And a lot of times folks who are at the zero dollar budget level, they do need to invest that time to kickstart the marketing so that they actually can get the students necessary. Um, yeah, totally. And yeah. experiential knowledge. Yes. You know, um, but so. what, what, what are you actually going to do? Um, what are you actually going to do at this level? Well, you know, with the friendly Facebook strategy, I did talk about, you know, an an effective way to target, but what are you actually going to be posting there? Um, This is where you don't have to overthink it. And I follow a lot of different people who give advice about how to market your studio. Um, There's a lot of folks out there. And I think my overall impression is that it's just, it's overcomplicated. It's kind of like um, the rookie trainer at the gym who like builds this really complicated workout regimen for someone um, to justify their own job. (laughs) Um, At the zero dollar level, I don't overcomplicate it. If you did nothing but post, and I've said this so many times, I almost feel bad saying it here. Like 
But if people are rolling their eyes because they're hearing me saying it again, that's good. The message is getting through. Um, anyway, uh, you don't have right. to go farther than posting student successes, student performances, and anything that you think will resonate with something that parents will engage with. Um, I'm a little careful about that third one, you know, because you can go overboard with the cutesy memes and jokes and, and things like that. But I do know a school owner who I respect quite a bit. And uh, he's probably listening to this. He's going to know I'm talking about him. But he posts so many funny memes on his Instagram, on his stories and in his feed. Um, I know that his it's coming from who he is as a person, you know. Um, yeah. and I know that he gets good engagement on those posts. And, and he's got, you know, studio um, studio clients of his that follow him. So I think I would do that if that's what you're doing naturally, but you don't have to really go farther than student successes, screenshots of student testimonials, performances. You could literally have a post every day if you wanted to um, and kind of fulfill that requirement that Gary Vaynerchuk has been talking about for like eight years, which is, you know, 86 pieces of content a day. I don't know if I'm going to go overboard that much, but if you do at least one, that's pretty darn good, to be honest. Can I recommend, too, that people check out App 47 with Sarah Campbell? Because she, she does a great yeah. job of walking through creating quality content Yeah, yeah. Um, for social channels. That's episode 47. If you haven't dug into that yet, I'd, I'd bookmark that sucker. And one thing I appreciate about that episode that I think is easy to overlook because she is kind of um, – she, she her message is around social media quite a bit is that she acknowledges that this isn't just for getting new clients. It is for building relationships and building uh, value with current clients. Yes. Um, you know, possibly even more than than getting new ones. Um, I'm, I'm not invalidating your point, Nate. I'm just saying that I think she has a really balanced view and she does talk about in that episode. It's really worth listening to. She's uh, really intelligent on this point. Um, so that's what I do at the $0 level. I don't really talk about GMB because when you, when you sign up for Google My Business, which at one point my studio, a third to 30 to 40% of my traffic was coming from GMB in any given month, which is mm. just massive. Um, but setting GMB up, that is so paint by numbers and it changes so often that I would literally just go to YouTube and find a video that's been published within the last month that has a fair number of views a fair number of views, um, a good number of views that just shows how to set up your GMB profile correctly. Um, mm. that'll, that'll, that'll provide a lot of cash value. I don't even think there's value in kind of creating training on that because it changes so often. Um, right. Better you know, to just Google yeah. the up for updates and read yeah. yourself. The interface changes so often, but the overall strategy has not changed in a long, long time. So it's one of those things where just find a, a, a recent tutorial that someone's put out on YouTube and, and you'll probably be 80% of the way there. Um, so that's that. So that's the $0 budget level. I know I kind of went long on that and, and even kind of jumped back into it. But um, any further comments on that, Nate, before we kind of jump to the 100 to $500 level? No, I just like, I like your, I think it's great. There's, there's some super actionable tips and tricks. If anybody's energized by the Facebook strategy, they can go right into it. Um, and I know for myself to get to your last point, which is a good segue to our inve- uh, growing budgets as your school grows. I know for myself, one of the first areas that I wanted to no longer be a part of was actually a lot of the social media strategy work. Yeah. And I invested more of my time into allocating budget elsewhere. Mm. Um, so, And we're getting there. So mm. the point being that early on in Brooklyn Music Factory's growth, there was a lot of hands-on time investment by myself and others to try to grow our student, uh, you know, the yeah. inquiries in the population. But once we had budget to spend, and once we started getting um, accelerating in our growth, uh, I became more interested in some of these other topics you're gonna t- you're gonna touch on. Yeah. So, anywho, I, let's let's dive in. Yeah, I will say though, I'm not pushing back what you're saying there. It's more like a yes and. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it is important at some level for the owner. And again, this is not pushback on what you're saying, Nate. Not at all, because I know you actually do this. Mm. I do think it's important for the owner in some way to be creating even a small bit of content themselves, even if they pass it off to someone else. And I know you do that. Yes. So I'm not giving no, I, I love the content creation yeah. piece. Yeah. I'll always, t- I mean, this, I like, yeah. you know, I love getting an opportunity to talk about interesting topics with you, et cetera. I love turning on the video. I love capturing students playing big music games, that yes. kind of stuff. 
Yes. So totally yeah. that. So if I, I didn't mean to suggest that yeah. as founders, we wouldn't be engaged in yeah. sharing content. For a couple of reasons, even just one, you should be keeping your thumb on the pulse of what people are doing. You know, at this, when we're recording this, the Threads app just came out. And um, I've been kind of monitoring, looking at that. I do have an Instagram account. So, you know, you practically have a Threads account if you do have an Instagram account. Um, and, mm. you know, I think you do have to keep, if you're a small business owner, you do have to keep your thumb on the pulse. But then I also think it's important, you know, whatever your favorite platform is, just do something there. Don't hand it off to someone else. So, you know, if, if uh, I know one studio owner, I don't really know if Twitter is an effective route to get students for your school, but this person mm. likes Twitter. And so they post quite a bit of content about their school on their personal Twitter account. I think that's great. Even if they never get mm. a student from it, it's something that they're energized to do. And they do have a fair following on there. So if there are parents in their school that Twitter is their preferred medium and they see the choice, oh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or you know, let's say TikTok, and they're a Twitter person, they probably won't follow on the other ones, but they will follow on Twitter and then that's coming up in the feed. And even mm. if it's only like, you know, 25, 50 followers, 100 followers, what's it cost for you to like go on, you know, to go on to Twitter and type in can't believe I get to do this job and you take a selfie of yourself and you post it there. Someone's going to see that. You're going to see in the little analytics section, wow, 10 studio families saw that I posted that today. Mm. That's significant. If you're feeling guilted, like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I need to post something like that on Twitter. Please don't. Unless you're already a Twitter power user, do not feel that. You've got to find the thing that you feel engaged to do. Now, if you feel in, right. if you feel motivated to do nothing, like you really just hate social media or there's not really a platform that you naturally create on, I think maybe you've got to cultivate at least one, you know? And maybe if you do, just make it Facebook because that is where everyone's at. That still is the biggest game in town. Um, you know, mm. but, you know. Okay, so let's jump up yeah. into our paid level. So now we've got, sure. w what, is our, what is our next <laughs> level of budget? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you got me off that, Nate, because I can. Keep yeah, no, I just move it on because <laughs> I want to make sure I want to make sure our listeners leave with what yes. we initially set out for, which is yep. understanding levels. marketing levels. Yeah, and I think they actually goes. I think they actually get easier after this point to some degree. Like, I'm not going to have as much to say about these; they're fairly cut and dried. Because if you're at the 100 to 500 dollar level, you should be on Google Ads. I've been saying this forever. I don't even know if I have that much more to say about it. I think people are sick of me hearing about this now. And I think that everyone kind of universally agrees that Google ads, you know, is a necessary mix and probably the most important one you should be on just in terms of discoverability within your geographical area and even mm. online if you're savvy enough to make that work for you. Now, in lieu of explaining why Google ads is so important, let me just give a few, a few uh, tips and tricks that um, maybe are more important right now, given some of the changes that have happened on the platform. Google recently retired the main ad type that they have been using since 2001. And, and um, now they're going to this uh, model where Google really chooses your marketing for you more. So you give them a range of headlines and they mix and match them. Okay. Yes. So Google is kind of taking over They're They're kind of idiot proofing the platform. Um, I think that's great. I still think the thing that makes Google Ads work for folks, if you you know, if you're wanting some tips and tricks like these, here they are. Um, uh, it's all about your keyword strategy. Um, it's all about adding in negative keywords so that you're blocking out bad searches, so you can get become very efficient and spend as little money as possible. Right. Um, but then there is something that I don't ever really think I've talked about publicly, but I've had to talk about so much with clients recently in my marketing training that I'm just going to kind of hint at this here. Um, I have met folks who are saying, oh, yeah, I'm already doing Google Ads. And I've gone into their analytics. And what I've discovered is that um, Google knows this data. They're only reaching 25% of the people in, in the area that they've specified that they can reach not just the people in the area, people who are actually searching for their product. So a lot of times when I meet folks who are already doing Google ads, like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't need that data. I'm doing it. 
there's some there's some things that I can check inside their account. It's a little more difficult to get to. Like not a lot of people know about this, but you know, because this is what I do, like I go in there and like, oh, you know what? You probably could quadruple the number of people that are getting to your site mm. on this account right here. Um, and so I've kind of gotten to that level of optimization with people. And that really, I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, seven years, but it's something I've been pushing more because people are like, you know, I'm doing the Google ads, but I still am not getting the number of leads that I want. Of course, there's some things that we check going back to the rookie mistakes. Like, yeah, you got to measure so you know how effective the entire funnel is. But even at the Google ads level, some people, the way they've got their account set up, they're not even reaching all of the people who are searching for their product in the geographical area they've specified. And they're missing on like 50%, 70%, 80%, sometimes 90% of the people who are actually searching aren't even seeing their ad because of how they've got their settings. So um, even if you are doing Google ads, you could be getting more out of it. And so that's like the one to $500 level. And this is the one that just over and over again, especially with smaller studios, this has taken them from like feeling as if they're struggling to get students you know, throughout mm-hmm. the year to getting them to full and keeping them in a full and even building like a sizable group studio. This is for me, I never had to really go beyond Google ads um, until I really wanted to, uh, you know, um, really maximize <laughs> um, everything that I was doing in my local area. Um, and even at the end, before I stopped teaching, this will be the last thing I say. Um, I severely restricted that budget just because I wasn't trying to grow anymore. And, um, you know, uh, there's just, there's just so much opportunity there for smaller students to really cash in with that. If they, if, if they've got it all set up correctly. Well, and I'll, let me say two things on that and then let's go to our next level, mm-hmm. um, and see what additional, uh, marketing channels we'd introduce. Mm-hmm. Um, but you brought up a really good point at the end there where you said, I was not looking to grow my studio anymore. And that's a person. That's a, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that last comment because it gets to your rookie mistake number two. Mm. So for our listeners, we need a clear goal of what our outcome is. You said initially it's for, to maximize visibility. I mm-hmm. think there's, that's a really, I call it, in my mind, I always say brand awareness. Like how much am I putting to just brand awareness Yeah, and this sure. concept of like, for someone to enroll at Brooklyn Music Factory, yeah. there needs to be seven points of light. They need to touch mm. BMF seven times before they're going to say yes. And so, they, you know, um, we're increasing visibility. So they might see us in a flyer. They might see us uh, on a poster. They might see us with an ad. They might see us just visiting our website organically, et cetera. So anyways, I love the visibility piece. But the other very clear goal, and this I'm just going to share a real example, getting back to Google Ads is that as we were ramping up our camp, which we've talked about before, is a really essential cornerstone to BMF, I, 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 I really significantly increased our Google ad spend to drive more traffic to both our summer camps and our day camps because we were reigniting that product. We were trying to reintroduce all the people that since we had downsized our camp significantly throughout the pandemic, now we were, up, we were, we were scaling it back up. And so... But once we reached sold out and a waiting list, which we did for both summer camp and then for our day camps, I uh, right away I reduced that down to like just pennies a day, you mm. know, on our camps ad spend because my goal was achieved. I didn't need to increase visibility around camp, right? I have mm. we have enough through our email list, et cetera. But I did need to get back to sold out. I need to make sure that we had enough leads. So, anyways, I love that last piece. Um, around making sure you're clear on that goal uh, and visibility is one, but also what's your inventory. As you said, you had sold out your inventory, so you didn't need to continue to expand yeah. your budget. So, okay, moving on to the next level. What, where are we going next? Yeah. And I think, again, um, let me give, now that we're a couple levels in, let me give the theory here behind these levels. And that is, when you're at the $0 budget, there's probably a reason you're there and you're trading time for students, which brings you more money. And then you use that money to begin investing into scaling up or just to have an overabundance of leads. So you can be a little bit more choosy about who you let in. 
Um, it gives you more confidence. This is at least what I experienced. It gives you more confidence as a studio owner. You start raising your standards on what you will and will not put up with in the studio or with customer behavior, like these sorts of things. And so there's this sense of increasing success, you know, so it's not just that the dollars are increasing, it's what you can do with those dollars. And so if at the $0 level, you've got these organic things working for you, I'm assuming you're still doing some of those things when you totally. add Google Ads in the mix. When you add Google Ads in the mix, and this was my experience, was that for every $100 I spent on Google Ads, I would get anywhere from $400 to $600 back um, you know, in, in, uh, in the front month if I had the space to take all those students, i.e. if I spent $100 on Google Ads, I would get $100 to $600 of new tuition within mm. 30 days. Not to mention all the stuff that came after it. So what I'm specifically mm. saying is, you know, I'd be getting anywhere from three to six students a month um, mm. on that $100 of spend. It's not quite as good as it was back in the day, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago. You're probably not getting that kind of return. It's probably more like a three to one return, two to one return. Uh, just because it's more competitive now, but it's still an insane return. And again, in the first 30 days, not counting the lifetime value of that customer. So then what are you doing with that money? Well, if you're wanting to continue to scale up, that's where you kind of go to this next level, which I would say is like the 500 to $1,000 level. And I would say that's where you start investing ads into other platforms. And I'm just going to briefly name check a few. Obviously, Facebook. If you're doing the friendly Facebook strategy, you can you could accelerate the results of that strategy by boosting those, you know, by quote unquote boosting posts or running ads against the, the right. target audience that you have on your um, Facebook page. You can go wider and maybe put really attractive offers out into the community. Maybe not people who are following your page necessarily, but people who are in your local geographic area. I don't think this is confusing anyone. I'm not going to belabor the point. Then I think there's alternative platforms. Um, if you're advertising in Facebook, that means you're also by default, unless you turn it off advertising on Instagram too, not going to mention Instagram. There are alternative platforms that I will mention that I have mentioned in the past. That I'm going to at least say again, because people tend to forget, um, even clients of mine, I'm saying, Hey, are you advertising? Oh no, I forgot that you told me to do that. So I think it's worth mentioning, um, in no particular order. So this is not my order of, of favorite. I think you have to kind of know mm. your own studio, know your offer, know your area, know what, you know, know the opportunities. Um, so this could look like uh, Craigslist. This could look like advertising on mm. Nextdoor. Um, this mm -hmm. could look like advertising on other major platforms where, again, you have the opportunity to target geographically just to raise awareness of the studio. You're trading dollars for eyeballs. Those eyeballs are being sent to a location, either a website or a landing page. And you're monitoring how many of those eyeballs uh, take their fingers and type their name into your form so that you have an actual lead that you can follow up with. And if it is not an acceptable return on an investment, then you've got to reevaluate the offer. You've got to reevaluate the platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can also, this is the level at which I start looking into alternative uh, media or alternative opportunities that are perhaps low cost. I will give you a few from my own personal experience. Um, I was actually talking about this with one of my coaching groups recently. I, in 2009, I had a family join my studio and uh, they had their kids enrolled at the local private school, um, the, Cat the, the Catholic parish school. And this mom so enjoyed how I was working with her two girls that she started telling everyone in that day school. And um, at one right. point in time, a third of my studio was coming from St. Jude Catholic School. It's the and, best um, kind of marketing. It's the referral yeah. from a parent. <laughs> now, yeah, so that's the zero dollar. Here's where the pay came in. Someone suggested, hey, you know what? You can sponsor the Sunday morning bulletin for this parish. And so totally. I actually put an ad on the back. And so I was getting comments from all the parents like, oh, yeah. And it became kind of a conversation piece. And I think it kind of accelerated some of that referral activity because, um, you know, uh, I think even on one version of the ad, I put on there. Um, so many uh, kids from uh, St. Jude come to my this studio. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. So that that you know that making that connection. Um, I sponsored uh, local baseball teams. I sponsored uh, the arts program at our local high school. So one of mm -hmm. my students was actually in a play there, and I put an ad on in the in the program for the play, um, and said congrats to such and such student's name. Put her picture on the ad. Got it. Obviously. Um, a uh, permission from her mother, of course. Um, 
So just little things like that. So in this 500 to 1,000 dollar level, that's where I start looking for like micro opportunities that are within my local area. And you are literally limited only by your imagination. If you've got a computer and have access to google.com, you can find all kinds of things in your local area, like little events, little advertising opportunities. There's a little local newspaper here that I used to run $300 ads in, giant ads in this paper. And all the people who read this like little township newspaper, they were really into being from our township. And it wasn't just, (laughs) I say this, I'm going to be careful here. It wasn't just old folks who like to read newspapers still. Like, Right. Um, everybody read it because people, they had, you know, uh, little news articles about the local school system, about what was going on in the township and, and like all that kind of thing. And I know there was a wide readership there. I know because I got calls from it, um, that sort of thing. Um, so that's what I do in that $500 to $1,000 level. I'm curious if you've got questions or pushback or, or, or what you would. No, I love those alternative. I love the alternatives because um, we do, we do very similar things at BMF. We pay to go into, um, massive email newsletters that go out to our specific, you know, parent newsletters. There's a huge one here in Park Slope, Brooklyn that we use periodically. Um, we definitely do the same thing you're talking about where we go to these uh, local schools and we sponsor, you know, whatever they have all kinds of things. They have, uh, camp fairs. We talk about that and how to sell out camp. We go in there and we, um, you know, pay for uh, tables, et cetera. So those are all like, mm-hmm. some of them are in-person efforts that you make. Some of them are printed, like you're describing, great examples of printed. And then there's also many, many opportunities within email lists, local groups, where you can digitally do it. This is where we get into actually starting to outsource. Because what I suggest right. at the $1,000 level, 1000 plus, is... Um, isn't something I'd recommend that studio owners do. And that is maybe moving to starting an SEO strategy. And um, mm-hmm. let's speak briefly about this. I really recommend working with an actual SEO agency, not a web developer that sells you an SEO package. Totally. That's I'm not going to make a lot of friends <laughs> with what I'm saying here. And in fact, I actually have lost... Uh, a close professional contact that didn't like this piece of advice that I gave. It, it was unfortunate. And I didn't even kind of realize that I was saying something controversial until someone got upset with me that I was saying this. But um, but uh, if you're paying two or $300 a month for SEO, it is not worth it. Um, right. I, I think it's a ripoff. I think it's a scam. Um, you're, you need to be paying at least 1000 a month for, for you to be you know, doing SEO well. I also think this is a good place to interject the fact that I know there's a challenge with all of this because we're, we aren't born marketers. We aren't taught to be marketers in music school. So there is a level of self-education we have to do to become good at this stuff, you know, and that's why we have mentorship programs on our industry. It's why we have trainings in our industry and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think, you know, even, you know, books here on my shelf behind me if you're watching on YouTube. Um, I see over and over again from books on how to scale a business that the first thing that a new business owner needs to, to take, needs to make a priority is the marketing wing of the business. Yeah, I've said totally. this before. You know, you have to take it seriously and there has to be a level of self-education. Um, and the problem I see is people either, you know, under-investing in it or too quick to hand it off to someone else, hoping that they'll fix their problem for them. Um, yes. Or just not doing it at all, you know, like, oh, word of mouth is fine, which if it is great, you know, you're not really trying to scale, that's cool. But I do think you kind of have to understand those funnel metrics, going back to the $0 level. Um, you got to understand those funnel metrics. You've got to understand what to do to fix them if they are not correct. And um, if you're doing that right, you begin to have more and more cash coming in, which you can then reinvest right back into the business. And that leads us to where, you know, we are right now, which is if you have a thousand plus month, thousand plus a month that you're willing to spend, you know, I just recommend working with a good SEO. Um, I know two in particular that work specifically with music schools. Um, and I like the work that both of them do. And, um, you know, we might, you know, do something on that in a later episode. I don't really want to get into it because SEO can be challenging, but I have literally seen schools go from 
you know, doing those first two levels that I was talking about, maybe getting, you know, 20 leads a month to getting to 70 leads a month on the back of really good SEO because they were in a densely populated area and that sort of thing. One of the people in our mastermind, in um, the seven figure mastermind, I'm specifically thinking about, she, um, her leads just exploded in late 21, early 22. um, And it propelled her to tripler studios, um, revenue and she was already making really good revenue um and on the on the back of seo so that's what i would say if you're in that one thousand to three thousand dollar budget range you should be doing that along with everything else that i've you know been saying right up to this point i've got one bonus one too um as as well it's one that i've experienced with but i have not utilized it recently nor have i had a client utilize it recently nor have I, you know, looked at the effectiveness of it recently at the music school level. I personally have done this, can attest to its effectiveness in some other things that I've got going on, i.e. groupblessings.com. But um, it's to go back to something that five years ago I would have said, I don't know if I'd do that. I don't know if I'd do that anymore. And I'm, I've almost come back around. And um, I'm, I'm just going to briefly mention it here, but the thing that actually got me off the ground as a studio owner way back in 2005. So talking ancient history here mm. was as a very new studio owner with barely any students, I actually put four grand into an advertising campaign where I mailed 3000 postcards to people in my local area that according to like marketing data, there was confirmed presence of children in the, in the home. And I mailed, yeah. I think about three to four weeks apart, the same postcard to the same 3000 houses. So I mailed a total of 6,000 postcards. I ended up getting eight students from that campaign just Mm -hmm. from the mailing. And then the referrals I got from those eight, I kept track of this even back then when I didn't realize, you know, everything I know now about tracking, but I ended up, it was like 14 or 15 students total came as a result of that $4,000 spend. Um, Mm. And it's getting to the place now where the mailbox is less crowded than our digital space. The mailbox is less crowded than our, um, you know, the ads we see as we're scrolling, uh, the hmm. the barrage of communications that we get in our inbox. It's getting a lot more crowded there. The name of the game is attention and emotion. That is what marketing yeah. is at at its at its core. Get attention, create an emotional connection, and then keep creating that emotional connection. And it's like. Um, you know, there's some days I don't even get mail anymore. That wouldn't have been yeah. true 30 years ago. So if a, a mail, if in my mailbox, um, I get like a six by eight, pretty giant postcard. In fact, let me even just shift it. This is one of the postcards. From back in the day? No, no. This is one of the postcards we've sent out for grouplessons.com. I've got my blur feature on, so you can't really see it. But look how big and massive that thing is. Now imagine Love that's it. your studio on there. Yeah. Smiling child, uh, big, bold promise. And so the caveat I would give on this is one, I'm just going to say it. I've had big success in the past. I didn't just mail one time. I mailed multiple times between 2005 and 2010. I built not only the original version of Piano Express, which was a summer camp, but also my own studio on it. I have not done it recently though, but I have a strong suspicion that it would, not that it would work. I know it would work. The, the caveat I would give is that it's not the first technique I would go to because it is more expensive to do this. And right. I would want to experience success first with digital, specifically Google ads, to make sure that the messaging is working and that yes. the place that you're sending them to is working. I wouldn't commit to print media until I've tested the whole funnel in digital first. You talked about if you've got the one to $3,000 range. And I think for some of our listeners, they're just going to be like, wait, I, I don't even know when the right time to get there is. Well, we had Jeff Homer on, a, on a, we've had him a, a few different times from Ensemble. Um, and he was talking very specifically about your marketing percentage or your marketing mm. spend as a percentage mm. of gross revenue. And I love that he said this. And it actually was a little bit, it changed my strategy in 2023 when he mentioned mm. this on a previous episode. Because he said, of your revenue, especially when you're in a growth stage of your studio, should go to marketing. And BMF traditionally has spent around three to four percent of our revenue on, you know, paid digital mailers, flyers, that kind of thing. Um, 
And so you said when you get to the one to $3,000 range. So I just want to make clear, like if you're a studio and you're grossing, say, 100 to 150K a year, then yeah, you're probably spending between 500 and 1,000, 500 and 1,200 bucks a month on marketing, mm. right? So then if you begin to grow from 150K and you want to look at getting to two, three, 400,000 uh, annual gross revenue, then yeah, you're, you're reaching Daniel's, what you're talking about. You're reaching that one to two to 3,000 a month in spending. Um, and BMF is spending, um, you know, with a, uh, you know, a seven figure plus gross revenue, we're going to be spending three to four to five K a month on our marketing budget. And yes, we have someone who's doing SEO and that person, uh, who's also managing our Google ads is, I think we're investing 1200 a month, something like that, just in that mm -hmm. channel. That's just for their services. So I wanted to get super specific in terms of the dollars. If you're a studio owner and you're looking at how much you make, you can just say, hey, ideally, I'd be taking 10% off the top, 10% uh, of that gross and investing it into some of these strategies you're talking about, Daniel. I really love that you brought that in there. And maybe as a high-level thought to end, the name of the game is the most number of eyeballs for the least amount of money, you know? Mm. Um Marketing is not a marketing is not a black box. Um, it's not this magical thing. That's actually words from one from a past client of mine. It's not this amorphous thing. Um, you're you're literally just getting attention. What you do with that attention determines the impact of the marketing and, and how successful the marketing is. Like you can send them to a terrible offer. You can send them to a really confusing page that, that doesn't really make an offer at all, actually, or that isn't very clear on what their next step should be or what the uh, per, prospective outcome would be. You know, the technical side of marketing is getting the eyeballs to the location. Yes. You know, the artistic, the art, the, the effective side of marketing is what are you actually showing them once they get there? Now, of course, this episode has nothing to do with that second part. Um, right. This is really more about, hey, how do you get the eyeballs there? But it's really only limited by your imagination. And the truth of the matter is, is that you can go Google right now, most effective marketing techniques for small business. Um, and they will give you a lot of ideas. And it's, it really is about self-education or getting a mentor or a training to kind of uh, shortcut that process. So mm -hmm. hope this is helpful. And I think with some of the things I've said here, I think there's even value here for for uh, studios that are much bigger. Um, because, you know, I work with bigger studios and there's stuff that I've talked about here today that when I met them, they weren't doing it. So a lot of value yeah. here to be, to be had no matter what budget level you're at. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please... Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.